In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Welcome everyone to the 419 Disciple Maker Podcast. I'm Mark Danzi, and today blessed to be with Wallace Francis. He was a Atlanta Falcon for years. I remember watching him on TV uh, catching passes for the Atlanta Falcons. I'm a big fan of this guy, and uh, we are glad that he's with us today. The best part about Wallace, though, is he's a strong believer and a disciple maker. He is living out Matthew 4.19. So welcome today, Wallace. Thanks a lot, Mark. It's good to be with you today. Man, I am so glad that you're here. Um, Our people are going to be blessed today by all that you have to share, I know. Uh, Before we get into this, though, just tell us a little bit about where you're from originally. Yeah, Well, I grew up in uh, Franklin, Louisiana, which is as far south as you can go, about uh, 30 miles from the Gulf of Mexico, southwest of New Orleans. And oh, we got a Cajun at heart here. Yeah, huh? you, they, they, that's what they call me. <laughs> but uh, And then after my time in uh, growing up, I went to college in Arkansas, Pine Bluff, Yeah, uh, four okay. years there. And then uh, after my uh, time in Pine Bluff, I was in the, went to the pros. Right How about, now, were you... Um, Growing up, you had some brothers and sisters, or were you an only child, or what? No, I there were uh, there was eleven boys uh, that my parents <laughs> oh, had. Oh my goodness! Uh, and then there was three girls. Let's stop and just have a moment of silence. Right ah, now. that was great. Yeah, well, for my <laughs> eleven mom, boys. It was eleven boys. Uh, well, ten, it, my one, the last boy died, but oh. my mom and dad raised uh, uh, thirteen kids. Thirteen kids. Yeah. You had to learn how to share early, didn't you? We did. We shared, and, and it was close family. Dad, dad drove a technical oil truck that uh-huh. kept him on the road, but we did that. The boys loved sports, uh, and so we played sports, and sports was a big part of our, our lives, young boys. Uh, my older brother uh, was a very good athlete, uh, was part of the Olympic 68, 1968 Olympic team. He Interesting. Was the, he was the alternate on the mile relay team. Uh, fifth fastest in the United States that year, and so wow. So he was kind of the leader in sports. So sports were was very so big. So in a foot race, he gave you a problem, huh? Well, I was probably the slowest Francis out of all the boys. <laughs> <laughs> and how many went to the NFL? Uh, I was the only one who went to the NFL. No. Not that I was the best athlete, but there was some, several other brothers who were good but had injuries. You know, oh, I see. Playing football, there yeah. uh, one play could end your career, but it was good. Now, did, with that many kids, I can only imagine your parents dr- uh, took you to church just to, just to uh, keep you in line, huh? Well, my mom uh, went to church, but I was not a Christian. We, I wouldn't call my home as a Christian home, but my mother was a very um, a godly lady and took us to church, uh, and Dad supported it uh, during those times. Mm-hmm. And so I was exposed to Christianity, but I didn't become a Christian as a child. Uh, I think Christianity was... Uh, a religion that uh, was our our religion. So I tell people I wasn't a black Muslim coming up. I wasn't a Jehovah Witness. I was a Christian uh, <laughs> because I believe Ben Franklin won one, uh, which I found out was Ben. Uh, it wasn't a scripture verse. It was God helped those who helped themselves. So I thought that was a Bible <laughs> verse, but it was Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin won one. Yeah, one. But you know, so it, but that's you know, so we had a good influence. Christian principles. There was mm-hmm. things there in the South. And Louisiana is um, uh, kind of a, a very, uh, well, anyway, it was a religious state in that it was uh, it's the only state divided into parishes like the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. But it was, uh, here again, it was a good good influence, good thing of respecting authority, uh, having re- uh, respect for uh, for God and all of his um, uh, principles, which were very yeah. good. Very good. 
So you go off to Pine Bluff, Arkansas, yeah. and you played football there. Mm-hmm. And um, was that where you became a, a believer? No, my time in Pine Bluff was uh, uh, majoring on football, mm-hmm. but I did get my degree. My high school coach said, "Get your, de- come back with your papers." Uh, that was his uh, thing. Going to college was uh, to go to college and get a degree. So I mm-hmm. got my degree in four years, uh, then was drafted by uh, the Buffalo Bills in the fifth round. The Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Boy, from southern Louisiana to Buffalo, New York. Huh? That was a little bit of a, a weather change for you? Uh, big weather change. Uh, now, what year were you drafted by the Bills? 1973 as a fifth-round draft choice. Fifth-round draft choice, 73. Mm-hmm. Now, were the Bills good back then when you were drafted, or were they? They were. They went to the playoff. Uh, my second year in 74, we went to the playoffs and lost to Pittsburgh in the first round of the playoff, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the Bills weren't very um, – uh, Miami Dolphins, which were – uh, they were in our uh, conference, uh-huh. so it was the Miami. And I think the year before I came to Buffalo, Miami, they had the undefeated record. So they were oh, okay. they were the dominant uh, team in the AFC. Um, I guess we were at AFC East at that time. Yeah. Now you know I'm a, a Dolphins fan from Miami. You know I'm from Miami, and I love the Dolphins. Did uh, you know that? I did not know. Oh, that. Oh, I thought you were just setting me up. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Sheila had. Well, you probably watched those days. Oh but yeah. Nick Bonacani. I think Nick oh, just yeah. died recently, if oh. I'm not mis- mistaken. But they had, you know, Paul Warfield, which was one of my uh, idols as a wide receiver. But okay. they had a very. So you were drafted by the Bills as a wide receiver. Yes. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah. And I. Uh, so, uh, what was your experience like going into the NFL as a young young fellow from growing up with eleven brothers from uh, Southern New, uh, Louisiana? Well, that was a thrill to to have your childhood dream to become a reality. So, mm-hmm. obviously, that was that was very uh, exciting. And then coming into the to the to, to the Bills and and being able to have an opportunity to to play. Um, and what I mean by opportunity, there was um, uh, there was a chance that I was not only couldn't play as a receiver, but I had a chance to be a kickoff returner. So I, I changed from not changed, but they used me more as a kickoff returner my rookie year, and uh, led the league in kickoff returns and in touchdowns. Oh, so wow! Congratulations. And then a friend of mine uh, who grew up in Louisiana, Joe Ferguson, was a rookie. So he was the uh, as a rookie as a quarterback. He was drafted third round in 1973 out of Arkansas. University of Arkansas, okay. and I came from Pine Bluff, so got a chance to play with uh, with with Joe as a rookie. He was a very good how good quarterback. And how and so you stayed in uh, Buffalo? How long? Two years. I was two okay. years in Buffalo, and and then in '75 I was traded to the Falcons. Oh, we're so glad. Yeah, I was happy to come here. They <laughs> they had just drafted a guy, Steve Barkowski, in the first round, and and they gotten a new coach, Marion Campbell, and so the Falcons was trying to bring what the city have always wanted, a champion. And, mm-hmm. and Barkowski uh, almost took us all the way to the top. He uh-huh. put us on his back in 1980. It was a good run, 12-4 and four record, and lost to Dallas. Uh, oh. Yeah, but he was, he was a great one. And so um, my understanding is, is that not only was he a great quarterback, but he was a great influence in your life. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, Steve became a Christian, I would think, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around 78 uh, Steve Barkowski, and, and became a leader not only on the field but off the field. He and Greg Bazina were uh, were Christians, and uh, June Jones had come there and was a Christian. So there were several Christians on the team, and these guys began to have a Bible study and invite their players. I think Greg asked the coach to have a chapel service, 
because teams like Miami, Seattle, and several other teams, maybe about five or six teams, had began to have chapel service uh, before their games. Mm-hmm. And then they, um, some of the players set up a, I think it was called the PAO, Pro Athlete Outreach Conference. So these pro guys began to start a ministry where they wanted to minister to their teammates. Mm-hmm. So during the offseason, they would have these conferences where players would come, where players would come and bring their um, bring their wives, and they would have various speakers. And so uh, that was the influence that um, uh, that my teammate had upon me as becoming a Christian. So you went to this conference, and that's where you decided to give give your life to the Lord. Well, at this conference was the first time I ever heard the message of the gospel in 1970, 1980. Really? Uh, after my, I was a Falcons Player of the Year in seventy nine. Oh wow. But anyway, I went to the uh, PAO, Pro Athlete Outreach Conference, in 1980, and it was there that I began to hear the gospel. Um, I think I heard the gospel for the first time. I think a guy named Bill Bright, you probably have heard I've of heard him. of Bill Bright, yeah. And he spoke the first night on God having a plan for your life. And Bill said God's plan was for us to know him, but man had a problem. And man's problem was that he was a sinner, and because of his sin, he, uh, he couldn't know God. And he said, the wages of sin is death. And uh, in my mind, uh, it, it's a football term. It's a guaranteed contract. <laughs> the wages of sin was Ooh. death. But when, when that came on, but then he said, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then the, the, the things that really began to rest my mind be, was that Bill said, you can't get to God through your good works. Well, there go my mm. United Way commercial. <laughs> and uh, Scottish Rite Hospital and all those kind of things. Yeah. Then he said, you can't get to God through your philosophy. And the philosophy that most people had, at least I was taught, you're good, go out where you're bad. He said, you can't get to God through your uh, that kind of philosophy. Then mm-hmm. he said, you can't get to God through your religion. Wow. Well, that was the first time it was a shock to me because I was taught that religion was man's way to God. My humanities teacher, in, as a freshman in college, uh, we studied the world religion. And mm-hmm. so the only person that was in bad shape was the atheist. But, uh, but every religion would end up to God. And so I was, I'd become convinced of that as a freshman in college. And so I had my religion. I was a Christian because I was exposed so to So you had your ticket. Yeah, I'd gotten baptized as a young kid, okay. baptized, went to church from time to time, and, and, uh, and had no problem with that. And, and if you would ask me what I was, I was a Christian. Uh, being a Christian meant that I was, you know, uh, whatever that meant, I, I was a Christian. Wow. And so um, when he said, you can't get to God through religion, I, I was shocked. Then he made this statement, said, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man come to the Father but by me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was a truth that had never really registered in my mind. So I sat there and listened to him speak. There was a guy who spoke about uh, the Bible being the playbook of life. I think Tony Edmund was a speaker there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then there was a guy named Bill Bright who spoke about um, the Bible and finance. And so I, uh, so, and then there was a guy named Gary Smalley who spoke about the, the, the oh, Bible. Oh, you're just going through the who's who of uh, speakers now, Speak, huh? Yeah, and Gary Smalley spoke about the Bible and, and, and family. And so okay. I heard those messages there and, and so came back to Atlanta and started going to the Falcons Bible study. Uh, there was a Bible study during the off season. And a gentleman was teaching through the Book of Romans. So the conference then itself just got you thinking. It, it wasn't really the life conversion moment for you, was no, it? No, I don't think I came to Christ. I, well, no, I didn't come to Christ. But it was truth that attacked my mind because I, I began to ask myself, uh, 
probably around 1978, I began to ask myself, what's the purpose of life? Hmm. And uh, I think people are still asking that yeah, question, yeah, aren't what's they? The purpose of life? And then I didn't have an answer for death, you know. Uh, and so people were dying. I think I remember the Falcons had a player, guard to Naples and Andy Spivey. Andy was killed in a, um, a car accident and Garth was paralyzed. And so um, the the thoughts of death, what what's you know, what's the what's the answer for death? Mm. So these thoughts were kind of coming through my mind and going to this conference began to make me think more seriously about that. So I start going to the Bible study and and um, and from there began to study the Bible and and I believe uh, it was during that time that uh, God began to bring me to a uh, understanding of Christ was the only way uh, at that time. I may have been regenerate, but about two years, um, I began to go to the Bible study and came to a point that Christ was the way, the truth, and the life. And I come to trust my life to Him. Uh, okay. And then at that time, my life began to take uh, many changes after that. So it was definitely that was actually a workplace Bible study for you, wasn't it? It was the it was first in the workplace. Yeah, it was in the workplace. It was the first time that I ever sit and consider the gospel in a real way. And it was some teammates. The influence of uh, my teammates. Uh, and had going to a place where uh, you were hearing the message, and then you began to see the message lived out uh, by uh, teammates of mine. So I think those were the real major influence in my life. Thinking back on that time, Wallace, about these teammates, uh, friends of yours, coworkers, yeah. whatever you want to call them, uh, what was it that they did that that you're grateful for now, um, taking this new believer? Because I can imagine in an environment like that, there's probably a little bit of ego I mean, is there a little ego in the NFL? Yeah, I think you know, competitive. When you have a competitive, there's there is there's ego. Well, and, and ego or or. But the thing about these guys, they had a passion. Uh, Christianity didn't make them have a less lesser passion. They were paying for a higher purpose. They wanted to do whatever they do. They wanted to do for the glory of God. Well, okay. And so you saw guys were not competing just to compete. They were competing because they had abilities, and they wanted to. Uh, Play with their whole heart as unto the Lord, and so they're they're it seems as though they had a deeper understanding as mm. you sat with them. Uh, the surface all looked the same, uh, but the, the the motive of their heart was they wanted to honor God. And then during the off season or during the, during the season, they wanted to share their faith with their teammates. So I guess it would be like a person in the marketplace or a person who works for IBM. You want to live out your faith in such a way that you work. And uh, the people around you, uh, you live a life that they ask questions. Why do you do what you do? Mm-hmm. And I guess a verse come to my mind. First uh, Peter says, uh, "Always uh, be ready when they, when people ask you the reason for the hope that's within you." So these guys uh-huh. live a life that that demanded to ask questions. Steve Largent was a, another guy during that time who was a Christian and and had a uh, a life that uh, was different. Barkowski had become a Christian. And his life was different uh, after 1978. So um, your your life demands question. Not that any of the guys were perfect in their performance, but the right. passion and the goal of their life was to glorify God in what they did, mm. which was to me. And so they they were inviting you into their life to just kind of see how they live, right? And uh, that influence of that invitation for you actually changed the trajectory and course of your life. I think it was the biggest influence upon my life as far as coming to Christ because of their being close and you were able to watch them, hear them. And then at that time, I was able to go to a place and hear what they were hearing. Uh, so it was it was a season for, for me. And so I think the whole message of, of the gospel is be able to share what 
have happened in your own life with others. And then they exposed me to books and things like that. And so that was a very, we had, there was a guy named Dan DeHaan, who was the Falcon chaplain at that time. And so uh, he would, uh, I think he wrote a book on Steve Barkowski, Intercepted by Christ, which a book that kind of uh, talked about Steve Barkowski's um, testimony on that. So How about that? that? Yeah, so that was it. That's fascinating. So you, um, so did it affect your career in any way uh, moving forward, um, playing in the NFL after you had now made this life conversion to follow Christ with your life? Well, my uh, my career did change. I after I think two years after I had uh, made a profession of faith, I left football uh, in 1982 to go to Bible school, hmm. and uh, so that was a change in my life. Uh, which I, as I look back, it was it was a change that. Uh, I had a passion to know Christ and a passion to to grow in Him. So I left the game, uh, some would say early, and uh, and began. Well, now I want to stop you there because I know your testimony. You, you you shared it. I've heard you share your testimony in large groups, and you actually left football with a year on your contract, right? Yeah, I had uh, uh, at least one more year on my contract, and it was. So you a, left money on the table. Yeah, I would. I would. Some would say that I had uh, at least a year left on my contract, and. And it was a week before the 1982 football season that I left the game and went to Bible school. That is so unheard of. Yeah. An NFL player leaving his contract, leaving money on the table to go to Bible school. Yeah. Well, it was it was God's amazing. As I look back, God's amazing grace to <laughs> to change my heart because football was it was my life. That must have spoke volumes though to your teammates that knew you were a Christian. Yeah, it could have. I I think it was it 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 it. It act, make people ask question why you know I yeah. I had no other answer other than I believe it was the will of God for me and to go to the Bible school there and uh, Christ had become uh, important in my life and so and um, and and as I look back at it it was it was just that someone had captured my heart more than the game football was mm. my love it was my life and then there was another person that had become my life and so um, and it was not that anything was wrong with football. Guy like Steve Largent stayed in, in the game. Steve Barkowski stayed in the game. But my path uh, led me this way. And uh, for me, it was, uh, as I look back, it was to go back, uh, go through, uh, it was to leave the game and go to Bible school. And it was that Bible school I began to understand and learn more things of Christ and had a passion to know him and then a passion to proclaim him. That, so, wow. Yeah. Well, you've got one of the most fascinating testimonies I've ever heard. Yeah. I really do. And um, at what point, this is this podcast is, we're speaking to disciple makers, mm-hmm. we're pe- speaking to people interested in disciple making. So much of Christianity is about um, receiving the message of receiving God's grace and receiving God's goodness and living for God. The other half of the gospel, though, is now go and share it. Yeah. And that's who this podcast is really speaking to. And I know you've spent the rest of your life since the NFL doing just that uh, with Ambassadors for Christ, I know yeah. is, is who you're with. So um, where did the concept of discipleship or disciple-making start coming into focus for you? I guess it, it came into focus as I watched the players uh, on the team. Uh, it was The verse says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Mm-hmm. So here's the guys on the team. Barkowski, Brezina, uh, Steve Lorden, inviting their teammates, lost teammates to come to conference. So it was lived out by the players there. Uh, as I read the Bible and, and you go to the Bible school, you feel, well, that's, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. So as a person follower and as the, the person of Christ uh, who have come to satisfy your heart, uh, you overflow. You want to share with others uh, who Christ is, what he's done, and how he can be to them. It's the overflow. And those who follow Christ and uh, will 
will eventually uh, share. Uh, it's almost like you the, can't contain it. No, you can't. It's like the woman at the well. Come see a man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I just think the the the, the emphasis of, of of Christ changing your life will give you a passion uh, to share. And I don't think it's a pattern on how to share. It's just going to be a passion to share. Well, I like that. Yeah. And some people are um, maybe more aggressive because of the outgoing personality. But I, I think the principle is he'll make us fishers. And fishers of men mean that you'll have opportunities in your uh, arena of influence to share. And women, if you're out and you're not off the hook, it's also fisher of women, too. I just want you to know that. Oh, there. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and uh, uh, Spurgeon's mother. Was uh, she was as uh, an influence on her young children on that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Wesley, I think John and and, and Charles Wesley's uh, mother was. So I, I just think the the yeah. ministry of the gospel uh, has uh, great avenues through any person: mothers at home, mm-hmm. fathers with son, uh, workers with workers. Mm-hmm. You become fishers of men, and sometimes it's not so much a how to do it. Am I willing to share life? With others, mm-hmm. uh, telling what Jesus have done to you and what the Bible says, and the Spirit of God uses uh, the simplicity of a truth yeah. of a changed life. So, how did it uh, for you when you started becoming a disciple maker? You were influenced by uh, Bartkowski and Brzezina and all these guys. Uh, when did you start realizing and and making your own disciples of Jesus? I, I think doing. I uh, began to share my faith when I was in football. My Making a disciple, when I came back from Bible school, I went three years to a Bible school, which was a discipleship Bible school, and began to understand the the the, the whole truths of, uh, of the Bible. And so I came back and began to uh, share with others uh, tools or messages that I had, books. Okay. Um, big thing was having a quiet time. And so when I would spend time with men and somebody would become a Christian, well, then I'll share with, share with them how to have a quiet time, yeah. what I did in my quiet time. If, on prayer, there may be a book that I've read on prayer. So I saw my disciple-making process of how were you fed, what impacted your life. Uh, I remember the first Bible study I had with a, a, a man. He was a minister, but he was unconverted. And so he'd come— Whoa, 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 time out. Yeah. <laughs> you were uh, uncon- working with an unconverted minister? Yes. Uh, it was how a, about that? Yeah, it was a gentleman who, who uh, heard me speak at a men's uh, breakfast— and I shared at a men's breakfast, and he came, and I just shared my personal testimony, but he came up to me after and, and said that how that uh, impacted him, and he just stayed there. And so we talked a little while, and I said, well, let's, let's meet for lunch. I don't know why, just, but I, let's meet for lunch. So we met and uh, spent some time with him, and he asked some very serious questions. And the question he was asking, I was saying, no, this sounds like he has some questions about his walk with, with Christ. And so I told him, let's, let's uh, meet on a weekly basis, and we'll go through the Gospel of John. I just Something told me to tell him that. And so we began to meet on a weekly basis, and we went through the Gospel of John. And we got to John, uh, John 3, uh, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, we was talking about Nicodemus. Uh, uh, you have to be born again. Right. And he said, wow. And so I shared with him about Nicodemus, who was religious and lost. How about that? And uh, and so, um, uh, and I asked him. I said, "Have you ever received Christ as your Lord and Savior?" And so, uh, he was stunned. Uh, no, he had not. And so I shared with him uh, who Christ was, what Christ had done, and what it meant to come to Christ. And How so he came to that? Christ. So it was just one of those things with a person who was religious, sincere, 
But uh, well, and thank goodness that you weren't intimidated by his title to just take him back to the basics. Yeah, because that and that's what he. As I listened to him, he, you know, he was he was like almost like me. I was not a preacher at that time, but yeah. uh, but he had not heard the gospel. And he had never come, and you can come from places. People that's trusting something that mm-hmm. they can do, but Christianity, as you well know, is trusting Christ who done it all. Oh wow! And so it's it's not so much Amen. being baptized. Uh, I was baptized. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being baptized, but mm-hmm. being baptized doesn't save you. Nothing wrong with being a good person, but being a good person doesn't save you. And that's why Bill Bright's thoughts of you can't get to God through your religion, or you can't get to God through your good works, mm-hmm. or you can't get to God through your philosophy. Mm-hmm. The only way you come to God is to receive a person. And, and to receive a person is to come to realize that I've broken God's perfect law, mm-hmm. and I can't get right by doing something. But, well, I uh, like what you said about Nicodemus there, that he was religious and lost yeah, at the same time. At the same time, yeah. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast. <laughs>